Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. That sounded like coffee if I've ever heard it. Yeah, it's still pretty hot. Unfortunately, it's not the sound of Mackie drinking coffee. Welcome to Polycast episode 415. I'm Makalua, and with me as usual, Candace Albinus. Oh, um, see... Is that too soon? That, <laughs> it, it was a little sooner than I was expecting, but it's okay because uh, flexibility. Me and team? We do a little bit of controlling. And Mega Bears fan. It's hard to have a baby and hobbies. What's your hobby? Well, playing computer games. But every time I turn my computer on, the baby comes up and decides he needs to push all the keyboard buttons, too. Yeah. Or the power button or pull out the uh, the the power adapter. Well, what are you doing? You just have to train them properly. You, you should have... at least be able to beat Noble by now. Do you have one of those desks that has like a drawer for the keyboard? Uh, no, actually, when I'm playing on my computer, I'm usually on my laptop on the couch in the ah. living room so that I can also watch the baby. See, As opposed to being locked in the office. I have learned through many uh, del- deleterious mistakes played in games because of a cat crawling on top of my keyboard that if you keep your actual keyboard on a shelf below the, the desk and then put a fake keyboard on top of the desk, the cat will always step on the fake keyboard because she thinks she's interrupting me. Well, babies might be a little bit smarter than a cat then, because I do do something similar. Uh, When I'm on the couch, usually the laptop is off to the side a little bit because I don't have a desk in in front of the couch to put the computer on anymore. So I'll usually have a trackball mouse and a uh, Bluetooth keyboard on my lap, you know, so that I'm not like twisting around. And uh, what I'll do is when the baby comes up to mess with the computer, I will turn off the power to the keyboard on my lap so that he can push those buttons and then I'll try to very subtly shift to pushing the buttons on the actual laptop. Uh, but I think as soon as he notices that the buttons he's pushing aren't doing anything and that I'm touching the buttons on the actual laptop, he then goes to the laptop. Yeah, probably smarter than my cat. Although my cat is pretty smart. Yeah, well, no this- no knock against your cat. Just, you know, well, human cognition versus feline cognition. How old is he now? Uh, one and a half. Okay, so we're well beyond the point where he's smarter than the cat. Hello? Did we die? No. We're still here. And yeah, oh. I, I do believe he is probably at this point smarter than a cat. The tipping point is usually around age uh, nine months. Is it? I thought it was closer to like, well, I guess not two years because they're talking and stuff at two years. But I thought it was later than nine months. It might. It, it's usually a window that goes from t- from nine months to a year. It depends on when the baby develops the ability to pass the theory of mind testing, which usually happens around that time. But that's a whole other topic that's not related to Civ. Yes. Well, thankfully, I have a PlayStation, so I can play that since I don't get to do much PC gaming. At, uh, it was real easy when he was a newborn because I would just set him on my chest and he would just lay there for, you know, hours, just perfectly content. But now, uh, not so much. Baby got to move.
See, I don't know. You, you might need a theory of mind to do Civ discussion and certainly to actually put the strategies in the practice. Well, you would definitely need that, yes. And if you have that, you might pick some of the Chinese leaders, but you might not. Anyway, we do have uh, more information on them now than we had last show, of course. Uh, time has passed, as it usually does. Every 60 seconds, it's a minute passes. And so, uh, yeah, we have Yongle, and Yongle is economic, getting um, the ability to do Civ Four, build uh, food, faith, and production, although you couldn't build faith in Civ Four, but that idea, uh, 50% if you are building food or faith, 100% if it's gold. And uh, big cities make gold, science and culture pop. So there you go. Did Sif 4 let you build food? I don't remember no. that. No. No, but the concept was there. I mean, you could you could turn your production into wealth, um, culture, or research in Sif uh, 4. And it wasn't one leader's ability. When I was your age, everyone could do it. <laughs> you just had to get a little bit of research to unlock the ability to do those things. You could not do them right from the start. Drama. Well, Civ 6 still has the, the district uh, projects, but I don't think those are 50%. I think those are like 30% or something like that. And they don't, uh, they don't scale straight into a yield. Like They don't let you convert your hammers right into other yield outputs. Of course, the, the food the hammers uh, converter is also not around any longer. Yeah, and <laughs> when you're doing the, the district projects in Civ 6, you're usually probably doing them for the great people points and not for the um, yields. Yeah. Yeah, even in four, the yield conversions were not optimal. In like, it was much easier to get multipliers on research or other things than it would to get them on production. And the yes, the tile improvements that you could get for production were pretty weak until mid game generally. So it was a pretty raw deal to try to build an empire on just hammering out your research and wealth or whatever. Uh, but you could certainly use it if you had nothing better to be building. I wonder why this second ability requires the expansions because like it doesn't look like it's anything that is unique to the expansions. Yeah, getting more yields at a high pop. I don't know. That's weird. Like population existed in the base game. <laughs> yeah, it's not like loyalty or anything. Yeah, pop's been around in Civ for a while as a concept. Imagine that. <laughs> I think it's been around since the very first Civ. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, an odd restriction. Yeah, the only versions of Civ I've played where population is not a concept is the board game versions of Civ. Uh, next up, we have Wu. We, uh, we've we seen her before. We'll see her again, but we might see her spies more frequently than either of those things. Uh, all of her offensive spies are a level higher. Uh, whenever her offensive spy mission is successful, they get the 25% of culture and science that the city produced that turn. And you get a free spy after discovering defensive tactics. So lots of very spies, many spies of many eyes. For uh, this aspect of China. Wait, uh, there's there's an issue with her, and that is, uh, you get a free spy on discovering defensive tactics, but you don't get to start building them, which means that when they inevitably die in their first mission, you don't get any more spies until. Oh, that would times. never happen because they're one level higher. <laughs> uh huh. Good luck. Uh, well, just yeah. just use that spy on the missions that have like the ninety plus percent success rate or at the very least the very low chances of being killed because they can still get captured you can negotiate to get them back i just know that with spies it seems like the percentages do not tell you the actual truth of the actual odds 
Oh, we're th- because, this again? <laughs> well, it, it seems like I will use like I would use spies. I would use the the lowest percentage one of them getting caught, and then they would always die every single time. And it got to the point where I just stopped using them, and I still don't use them because they literally always die. Mm. I, don't I would know imagine if they this fixed... could be tested empirically. I wonder if it would survive. Uh. They they probably have fixed whatever bug that was, if it was a bug. But learned behavior is hard to reprogram in an autistic person. So you're reminding me of the the paradox thing where people are saying confirmation bias this, confirmation bias that. But back when the fabricating claims had a percent chance of uh, being caught attached to it uh, before the spy network mechanic. A lot of us are like, we feel like we're getting caught an awful lot. So we actually tested it. Like we did a controlled statistical sampling. We're like, uh, this probably isn't right, actually. <laughs> so it's not always confirmation bias. If you suspect you're probably wrong, but it's worth testing because sometimes something's bugged. Yeah, that was like more than 10 times likely and more likely to be caught than displayed. It was pretty wild. Gasp, are you saying that Civ 6 has bugs in it? No oh, way. Who knows? Who knows with this one? I don't even know if that was is a bug Throw that a dart. was fixed. All I know is that when the game first came out and I first used spies when they were first introduced, I think they were in the game from the start, weren't they? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I would always get caught every single time, and I just gave up on building them. And uh don't know if it was originally or later, but I think I noticed if I... The capital seemed to get me in more trouble. If I went to the outer cities... I was more likely to have a success. But if you kept sticking it in the capital, yeah, you got caught a lot easier. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to put out misinformation here. I'd, I'd want to know exactly how the mechanics work before we go into oh, how the spies are yeah, being and, caught versus not. And if memory serves, I, I think when, you know, Civ 6 first came out, like the spies only had like three missions that they could do. Like a lot of the missions were added by the expansions. So you didn't have a lot of options. And you know, those options weren't very favorable for the spy. Yeah, like some of your exit options if you got caught like nine times out of ten, it would still catch you anyway. It's like, thanks. Oh, yeah, that was a whole other uh, stat roll, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Although they are a way uh, indirectly to convert hammers into other things. And so maybe you can absorb the losses in the mid to late game and just say, hey, this is part of the cost on average. It eventually got to the point where I started building spies again, but only because I needed somebody to have a spy in my freaking neighborhood so they wouldn't turn into um, giant tanks and stuff because of that <laughs> that oh, the AI kind of obsession with tormenting partisans. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're going conquest and you're just building military, you can just kill that crap, but yeah. <laughs> but if you're me and you're not building military units and you tech a lot and then you get partisan units that are much stronger than any unit you've ever built. Uh, well, and even if you have a military, like that military has to be on your side of the planet at the time that the partisans spawn. If they're all uh, conquering capitals on the other continent and yeah, you, didn't, you didn't, yeah, you didn't leave half your tanks over or helicopters over in, uh, in your own cities, then yeah, you're still kind of boned there. So you're not, you're not envisioning that what I'm doing in end game, because what I'm doing in end game, it tends to be just producing more military units and then moving them to the front until I can conquer faster. So on any given turn, usually one or two cities will have built something uh, that can shoot at the partisans. But I also make a lot of encampments and like a lot of the, like the cities of walls, the encampments are shooting, the, uh, the cities themselves are shooting, usually an artillery or two is shooting. 
that stuff is annoying. Like it'll destroy a couple of improvements, but it's it's gonna die pretty fast. It's not well, gonna do any real damage. One of my strategies for a long time has been that since um since cavalry units uh I believe are still uh debuffed against cities or like they can't capture cities or something like that. Uh They're I usually debuffed. Huh? What was that? They're de they're debuffed. I think you can walk into a city with the cavalry yeah, if it has yeah. like no hit points. Right. Uh, I usually just leave like heavy cavalry. Like I'll build some knights or something fairly, or you know, chariots and knights early in the game, and I will leave them camped in like a few of my cities. And between their increased movement speed and roads, I can usually get pretty much anywhere in my empire. You know, with them, especially once like railroads start coming out and they turn into tanks. And yeah, some partisans spawn anywhere, and I can usually get like two or three tanks there. You yeah, know, with late game tech, you usually get that anyway because you got uh, stuff that boosts your movement speed. Again, I guess you have to be running the policy cards for that, which I would because I value them. I value the speed for <laughs> my military units because I'm conquering stuff. Uh, but if you have that, then you can use anything you've built pretty much that can do damage to like, get to parts of your empire pretty quickly. Well, that late in the game, yeah, sure. But earlier in the game, when I'm building the chariots and knights, you you know you don't have roads, or even if you do have roads, they don't increase your movement speed all that much yet. They just you know negate the rough terrain you know movement penalty. So I yeah. still you still need faster moving units than basic infantry earlier in the game until you do have like railroads and tanks and stuff like that. Or you know I'll just have like fighter planes in a lot of my cities, and I'll just bomb you know strafe the partisans to death. Mercifully, you don't get a lot of partisans in the night timing normally. No, but you know, every now and then there'll be like the errant barbarian will just show up. Like, where did that come from? So you know, they're still good to have around. Yeah, I mean, you want some military units generally, so you can react to stuff. Because like, if even if you're fighting an AI on a front or whatever, or even if you're not, like, someone could just attack you. Yeah. And of course, all that is kind of moot if you're building your cities like three tiles apart anyway, because then no matter where any unit shows up in your empire, you can probably hit it with like three overlapping city bombardments. Yeah, the AI isn't so good about avoiding that either. It'll move into them and just take shots over and over. All right, so one more to get through here, and that's QSH, the unifier. And uh, you get to convert barbarians. Pretty Sounds nice. Sounds pretty simple. Yeah, simple and effective. Use the barbarians to further unify. So it's basically the uh, Apostle promotion just is on all of your melee units. Yeah, hmm. apparently. He also doesn't like you when you destroy barbarian camps. I wouldn't either if I'm playing him. Get out of here. <laughs> is there That's a, a pretty effective unit factory. <laughs> well, is there a cost to that? Like, do, you, do the units only have, like, one charge they can spend to convert barbarians? And is it, like, all adjacent barbarians? Or just do you have to choose one barbarian? How does this work? It says melee units receive the barbarian or convert barbarians action. This action converts barbarian units into your units, but it removes the melee unit, which is uh, not well worded. I think what it means is the unit you use to convert them goes away. Warriors. Yeah, okay, maybe so then it would be a, so then it would be a one time use. Well, yeah, if you don't have the unit any longer, you can't keep using it. <clears throat> But it doesn't seem to be particularly clear about that because I don't know. I'm just and uh, it was it all adjacent. I assume it's all adjacent barbarian units. So you'll just run a warrior or something in the middle of a pack of barbarians and then hope you have enough movement points to convert them before they all kill you. I would assume that's how it works. I have not played them for uh, reasons that will soon become more clear. <laughs> oh, no, my topic list. So yeah, it might be uh, a little annoying to actually put that into play. But hey man, production advantages are nice. 
And if you can keep a camp from getting uh, shanked by the AI into the late game, you can get a lot of production out of it. I was going to say also, depending upon the map type, you have barbarian camps that spawn other places and are sending up boats and everything else and are like up in the ice. And so you could just go down there and farm later game units off of them. Yeah. I don't know if you can get naval units with that, but... um... I would assume if the naval unit is like just Next adjacent to the coast, to the coast yeah. and your your melee unit happens to be actually i wonder if the melee unit can we'll see. do that there's also you know the possibility hypothetically that the melee unit could do it while embarked but i'm going to assume that that's not an option oh the way it's worded um mm. like i don't know what the, how it's actually working in the game so i haven't played as them yet either but you usually the way it's worded on the on, the, on this screen here implies that that should work now i don't know if that will work uh but it should work with the way it's written well usually military units lose all of their like action thingies when they're embarked so you know pretty much all you can do is move or disembark so i would imagine that whatever button on the ui there would be to convert the barbarians would just be not there or be grayed out when the unit is embarked but i'm just assuming that i have no idea i haven't actually played them yet if the what the problem with trying to grab barbs at far flung areas is that there's a time sink uh, to getting your units over there. Uh, th- that's yeah, why it's attractive it's... to keep them relatively close. So you can actually get the units converted and doing something for you in fewer turns. That's a huge deal. Yeah. But sometimes there's a persistent bar camp underneath where AI civs are. So, you know, yeah. I'm going to turn the thorn in your side into a sword in your side. Well, a little what... extra reinforcement. One of my favorite things to do with privateers is, you know, since you can't, you know, pirate other civs, you know, ships and stuff like that, unless you're actually at war with them, is I'll just send them around looking for a barbarian encampment. So maybe what I'll, what I would do with uh, with this Chinese leader is uh, I would just, you know, embark a melee unit to go along with my privateer and convert the units and then use the privateer to uh, do the coastal raid to take out the encampment for the gold. So get gold and units. And there'll probably be more naval units. I don't know. The removing the melee unit thing really uh, takes the wind out of the sails a bit logistically. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, unless you're getting multiple barbarian units or a very powerful barbarian unit for a relatively cheap uh, melee unit that you built, right? Like if your warrior is getting a barbarian tank, that's an equitable exchange. Sure. Uh, But like, it's hard to rely on that. Yeah, but if your swordsman is getting like a barbarian spearman, like, eh. And you wouldn't even bother at that point. Yeah, that's that's kind of a downgrade. And these things aren't going to have your armory, uh, any of your encampment building. Yeah, presumably none of of your experience boosts or yeah, barracks. And like late game, you can just straight up build uh, cores and armies. Although I guess it does. With those boosts. Although I guess it's really powerful. It does make dealing with the aforementioned partisans a lot easier. Uh, someone <laughs> as, ah. I spawn some five partisans in, around your neighborhood and you just happen to have a idle infantry there. Then, hey, thanks. I've just got four free tanks. Uh, to do is you have your uh, like upgrade, like unupgraded trash can warriors just waiting around for the opportunity. Yep. Sitting safe in the city where they can't take collateral damage. Do it. Make partisans. Yeah, this leader is kind of like, oh, you want to play the Barbarians clan uh, game mode and, you know, bribe all the Barbarians to attack me? Well, shoot, joke's on you. Man, if only. Like, that would be less of a pain if you could, like, bribe them or buy them or 
some other favorable conversion that you don't have to like use so much time and movement to pick up. Yeah, if only this leader could bribe the barbarian uh, camps to attack himself. I mean, yeah, I guess you could just disregard uh, barb scouts and like run warriors to pick up the raids and hope that you get uh, an upgrade out of that. Yeah, just let the scouts find your cities, get back to the encampments, and then send your you know warrior or whatever out to meet them. You know, halfway. Yeah, I don't know. This is the one occasion where you actually want them to find your cities. Yeah, and that could be very powerful early in the game because you could then use all those units for you know a rush uh, against yeah. another sieve early. So keeping could in mind a... that a conventional sieve very frequently can also just use those units for a rush, especially on lower difficulties where you don't have to, like the walls coming up as quickly. True, but if you're you know sacrificing one warrior and getting like a warrior, a slinger, and a horseman out of it. Like that's a yeah, it's fine. But exchange. like, what you're really saving there then is gold, and you get some tempo out of it. Like, you you also save some resources on the upgrade or whatever. So it's like a bit faster, but it's also not reliable in timing. So that's like something that you might be able to use opportunistically in an early rush, maybe. But uh, maybe you you'll just be a conventional uh, sieve that just attacks people with default units. Yeah, you with you no probably... bonuses you wouldn't want to like build your entire game strategy, you know, around that plan. Cause yeah, it, it could very easily be upset if the barbarians don't spawn next to you or their scouts just happen to not go in your direction or a stupid city state is just in between and kills all their units for you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Let's I'm missing something wrong. with this, but it doesn't seem that great, but maybe it's working differently than we're thinking. Cause again, yeah. I, we haven't played it. So it's one of those things where on paper we can't make sense of it, but then when, once we if we actually play a game with him and try it out, we might figure it out. Or like maybe the wording's wrong and like it doesn't destroy the melee unit, it like removes the ability from the melee unit or something. Well, that would change my opinion. But uh, yeah, as it's worded there, I raise an eyebrow on this. Yeah, even the, um, if I remember correctly, the apostles that have that ability like get to use all of their charge. It doesn't immediately kill the apostle. You just get the charges. You know, you get the three charges or whatever that you can um, use for that. So, yeah. Anyway, was that it for all the new leaders? I think so. Well, if you're on console or uh, Mac and you're wondering where the heck your new leader packs are, uh, there has been a message from Aspire finally about what's going on there. And I guess they've all been delayed. Uh, Aspire tweeted, uh, I don't know when this tweet, uh, January 19th, that they are delaying the current leader packs until the same time that the, uh, I guess it's going to be the last pack, the Rulers of England pack, uh, comes out. And then presumably uh, all of the ports should, well, actually it just says Mac iOS. Yeah, this is not just Mac consoles? and iOS. The consoles don't get anything. They never have gotten anything from this particular pass. And... Uh, you know, um, um, Aspire users will not get the content until the final pass, and uh, crossplay is disabled until then. Well, Aspire was the developer for the console versions, though, right? They were the ones who did that, yes. And yes, yeah, so uh, there has there been any announcement on whether the consoles are going to get any confirmation one way or the other? Well, uh, I, I find it interesting that there's not even a mention of the Linux version either. What a surprise! And if you go into the comments for the uh, the response to the tweet, it's just a bunch of people complaining about how Aspire 
hasn't given an update for four months on the KOTOR 2 DLC that they're apparently working on. So Spire's not just having problems with Civ, they're having problems with everything. Uh, this is a potential problem when you rely on third parties to bring your stuff. Aspire has been around since at least Civ 3, so they didn't used to be this terrible. But I do remember there was a statement once that said that we're not porting Beyond the Sword for Civ 4 to Mac because the code is a mess. And then there was another time when uh, they left a bug on the Xbox version for like seven months before it finally got a beta patch. And I don't know if they ever finished that. The top voted comment is, this has to be a joke. What the what the bleep are you actually doing? Which, I, I gotta wonder, uh, what's actually happening in the Mac and uh, Linux ports that require that much extra time to fix, considering that thus far all the leader abilities that have been added in the pack are things that can be, you know, easily fixed with SQL edits? I mean, there's no new real mechanics there's no new features that are being added it's just different abilities that give you different things based on different triggers and all those are already in the game so what the heck is going on hmm, i don't know well that wasn't a very long topic <laughs> <laughs> well it wasn't a very long statement from aspire so yeah fix not the stuff. really okay so this is the one that is going to get us in trouble probably if I ever decide to take my life in my hands and go visit the People's Republic, which, God willing, I will never have to do. But uh, there was a very small 1.3 megabyte update released this week for Civ 6, and its entire purpose was to remove the phrase, histories can be rewritten from Yongle's intro text. And uh, not only does this uh, suggest that, you know, China being China, we all know about that, but it, it reveals that Firaxis actually has the ability to do things quickly if they really think they need to, which I think is the bigger story here. How many months does it take to get bugs fixed for gameplay problems, but insult the CCP's party line? Oh, no, we got to fix that immediately. Was this uh, removed for all versions of the game or only for the Chinese versions? All versions, I believe. And uh, I don't know why it would matter because Yongle is notorious in historical circles for having rewritten all the history about himself to make himself sound less like an uh, absolute, you know, usurper. But uh, apparently the CCP doesn't like telling the truth. Not that we didn't know that already, but... I just don't like when uh, U.S. companies bend the knee to that. Considering that video games are pretty much already banned partially in China, and... You're not losing that many sales of Civ in China by having that line in there, so why are you doing this? This begs the question, well, I, it asks, makes me ask, why did you bother making a specific DLC for a country <laughs> that already doesn't like American business and has instituted significant bans on Western media, including video games as a whole. And why not go for India, which is, you know, just as many people, soon to be more people, and uh, pretty soon to be just as wealthy and able to spend money. I would much rather have, you know, 
leaders from the various millions of Indian civilizations that have lived across the centuries. But no, yeah, we have to get we have to get these stupid Chinese leaders that just get whitewashed all the time, and I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it one bit. India has a much longer and more diverse history than just Gandhi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this it comes up all the time when we're talking about what civs could they add. We go, well, the other civs from India. Any yeah. of the other civs from India would do. Any of them. There's thousands. I don't really have a problem with like including China in the game though, like or the extra China Chinese leaders. It's it's whatever. Like I don't like bending the knee to modern politics and or like pretending leaders were things they weren't. Is that a problem in Civ Four too? If like saying, "Oh, you can't have Hitler, but we're going to put in Mao and Stalin," like either all of them are out or all of them are okay. Like <laughs> they're well, all freaking monsters. Probably, hey, man. we want to sell. Well, with Hitler, that's we want to sell the game in Germany. Yeah, I get that, but again, <sighs> yeah. Well, there's also a reason why in the Civ code, Mao Zedong's uh, def- defines actually list him as Chinese leader because. Yeah. Mao well, was saying, also like, forbidden a new for a while in China. Se. I do have to wonder if um, part of Firaxis and 2K's motivation for creating the Chinese leader pack was to try to appeal to Chinese players and, you know, hopefully maybe get some kind of endorsement for the game from the Chinese government that would lead to massive sales in China. But then now it has kind of backfired on them. I mean, if you want to sell your game in China, fine. I don't care. That's a capitalist decision that you can make. But you should not be surprised if you get American and other Western people upset at you for kowtowing to them. And you should also not be surprised when, on a whim, your product gets banned because it's not Chinese healthy or whatever they call it. It doesn't have the proper Chinese characteristics or whatever they, they use as their reasoning now. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be something that like you, the developer or publisher, put into the game. Like China will ban games based on what players do with it online. Like once it is there, like, you know, they play it in a certain way or certain types of communities get built up around it that the government doesn't like. And then they, you know, bring down the hammer on it. So, I mean, you can be as, quote, I don't know if PC is the right word in this case, but from the Chinese perspective, from Chinese government's perspective, you can be as PC as you think you possibly can. But like the fact that the game has like online play and stuff like that means that, you know, players can essentially get it banned. So, I mean, it's it's a super huge risk no matter what you do. Or it could just be banned because China only allows a certain number of Western products into the country per year sometimes. At least that's how it works with Hollywood movies. Yeah, or they just get mad at American video games in general for some reason. Some other completely unrelated game does something and Chinese government says, nope, no American games at all. Meanwhile, we've got India, which admittedly is less developed than China, but is on its way. Same number of people, and uh, they are much more willing to embrace Western traditions and stuff, as long as we're not saying, hey, be this way and our slaves. Whereas I, I haven't I just, heard anything about the market for games there, though. There might be. But I, I there don't hear is, much about it. There is a huge market for it. There's not a lot of Western market penetration there. And I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I suspect it, it is a reason. Well, I assume the reason is that, you know, conventional wisdom says that China currently has a growing middle class with a lot more disposable income. So you think entertainment products are going to sell much better there than to 
you know, unfortunately, India is a much poorer country at the moment compared to China. So there's not okay, as much disposable income. We've been on digital distribution for like a better part of well, more than a decade now. Like, why wouldn't if there's a market there, we, we would expect it to take off somewhat just by offering it. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, well, India, that's not what we observe. India does have a very large homegrown market for stuff like that, but there's no reason why a marketing push toward India couldn't result result in massive amounts of sales, because yeah. it's not like the Indian economy is significantly more closed off to the Western market than, say, China's is. China's is heavily controlled. Yeah, and it's also like it's not like we're trying to force you know American products into like Russia at the moment. So like, you we're know, not airdropping propaganda on people. Yeah, like it's pick your battles. You know, like I still maintain that Russia should be replaced with Kievan Rus in Civ Seven. I know that's oh, crazy, gosh. but you know, I'm just that kind of person. But I think China should be relegated to a part of Civ that you know. If you want to, if you're going to be pissy about every time we say, hey, uh, your leaders have a history of rewriting history, well, get used to it because our pre like we put Lincoln in the game and he arguably is the most dictatorial American president that ever happened. So get over it. I don't I think we could just stop caring about foreign governments in game design generally. Just make a fun game. It'll sell well. Yeah. Can't sell it in one market. Hey, it's going to sell great in other markets. It's not the end of the world if you can't sell to everybody on the planet. Although I know that's not the way capitalists likes to think, but hey. Uh, I just don't understand why, like, capitalism would dictate that you should try to sell to everybody who can afford it. But there's also levels of risk that you have to mitigate against. And China is a really risky market. You also just have to adjust where you're trying to market your product based on your product. Like if the product's premise is rewriting history, then you're going, your game is going to rewrite history. Like you can't take that out. Also, it's not like so any like of the actual... bending over to China, even though the game is still allowing you to rewrite history, is probably not going to get you anywhere because you're still going to have this leader capable of like conquering the world as him and it rather than anyone else. So yeah. whatever. Like, historical revisionism is kind of civilization's whole shtick yeah uh, i don't know uh historical revisionism is a whole nother can of worms that i don't want to open i mean you definitely are doing something different than historical and simp though that's just how it's gonna yeah go. but we're also Every not game. we're also not claiming that it's what actually happened so yeah in order for it to be revisionist in my view it has to be well, what actually happened isn't what happened. What it's actually what happened, happened is how the history of this game played out. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. Well, and, and to that point, I mean, there are scenarios and stuff like that in Civilization that do start with, you know, more specific historical context. It's not all just, you know, new games on a randomly generated map. So there's that too. Yes, and those can be revisionist if you set the playing if you set the put the set piece together in a way that changes what the i guess historically accepted view is this is not about civ we should talk about something else <laughs> well i was going to ask would you like to open a can of mind worms instead uh a tasty treat oh no <laughs> yeah somewhere in Cifinex of uh nj666 who has apparently started a project to do a open source uh Open source OpenGL SDL2 remaster for uh, it, 
yeah, <laughs> for Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Because as he says, we would like everybody would like wants to keep the original assets, not going to change anything about that or the gameplay. It's just so you can have a bug free, a modern bug free client that you could actually do multiplayer with. Multi threaded and actually capable of handling things. Yes. Did the old game have a problem with getting bogged down in the late game? A little bit. Not all the time, but just, a, yeah, depending. And, and part of that was its UI design. It just there wasn't the clean controls that you had for like Civ 4 or something. Well, so it had tons of units, it could be a real pain. And it doesn't sound like they're changing that. Yeah, well, I, I am not okay with like remastering modern games, just saying, yeah, no, we don't need a UI. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a later down the line project or something to help with the UI. But at this point, it's just, let's have a modern client that we could actually still play on newer computers without having to, probably yeah. also to help support modern resolutions. Is it? <laughs> Oh, I guess playing the game at all first is a priority, yes. Yeah, Apparently. And, and what I was going to say is if they're going to uh, to update the UI to make it more modern, it, I think it would be kind of neat to actually have an option or mode that lets you play with the original AI or a UI so that, you know, players can go back and experience how, what that was like, uh, for better or worse. No, please, no. But apparently their their um, most, most pertinent goal is working, stable, reliable multiplayer. That would be great. So I first mean, we need to so first what needs to happen is we need to get um EA to release Alien Crossfire on Steam and then <laughs> then um like I assume they would never bother to put Steamworks into it because that would require effort. Thanks yes. EA. But I'm sure some enterprising mod maker could come along and uh make a steamworks port or a steamworks mod i guess it would hard to do it through steamworks because steamworks would require official support so i don't think you'd ever get that that way unless ea decided to be uh for some reason generous and say hey i see you guys are working on this uh update that to one of our very old properties would you like a thousand dollars or so to put it on the thing and get your names in the credits or something which or I know more likely they'll issue a cease and desist and uh Well, yeah, that's the thing. Some companies are nice and will say, "Hey, we'll we'll publish that for you and uh if you will keep working on it and then, you know, and then other companies are just like, "Get out of here." And yeah, here's a public service announcement to Electronic Arts. Uh 4X strategy is kind of going through a little bit of a renaissance right now and you are sitting on a gold mine. I don't know if you want to word it that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's under monetized. Let's go to the Wizards of the Coast routes, guys. <laughs> oh no, no, oh, God, that's been a whole thing. How to make uh... the most? How to make your very popular property entirely pointless and abandoned in well, one simple month? You're essentially genre defining <laughs> property. I property. mean, Dungeons and Dragons is synonymous with tabletop role playing. But let's totally tank it by saying you have to pay to do anything with the license now. It's like being back in like the 80s or early 90s when like every video game platform was just called a Nintendo. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when every shooter was called a Doom clone. <laughs> and then they make game. Then you go back and you look at some of these games and it's like, oh, hey, here's uh, this Mac only game called Marathon. Uh, why is everything so complicated and why are there so many storylines? If you haven't played Marathon, it's a very hard game to play, but it's got a really good story. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, he has, but he has an approximate roadmap going for his version zero, and he lists exactly like like what point one, point two, point three, which is basically the engines in, get this thing in, get victory types in, you know. So there's a path there, and then ideas for what version one, whatever, and version two, whatever could be, should he get that far? So, and it's, right. it's timeline and it's, is is a bit generous. There aren't any like estimated no dates on it. It's yeah, it's no literally dates. just these are the version numbers going up to you know potentially a 1.0 release. But there's no actual like time frame for when any of them uh, would come out. And as far as we can tell, it's just like what one person. Yeah. doing it probably in their free time. So like, don't expect this to be released and playable in like March. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, maybe version two, maybe the basic functions and stuff by the end of the year or something like that. If they're doing their spare time, I mean, depending. I mean, I don't know how hard it's going to be. Like maybe end of summer is like a realistic estimate for like a playable version, or maybe even start of summer for something that's playable. But, uh, you know, nowhere near complete. Yeah, but it's something to keep an eye on because it would be nice to be able to play it without having to go through all the steps you have to right now. I mean, it is a 20-year-old game. How hard can it be? <sighs> boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Asking the magic question there. Oh, dear. Yes, many, many indie developers' uh, famous last words, sir. Oh, yes. How hard can it be to remake this 20-year-old game? Oh, my gosh. Older games are so much more complicated than newer games. Yeah. Or holy hells, what is a spaghetti code? Yeah, well, that never went away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did, kind of. They. Uh, well, okay, I mean, to some extent, but... <laughs> they have pretty heavily slammed into the heads of young programmers to comment your code. So most of the time, you can at least follow what's going on, assuming you uh, know how to read commented code. Well, and now that there's a, uh, you know relatively small number of standardized game engines that you know most games are being made with you don't have to you know write as much of the the back end stuff like in the game code so it's it's a lot easier to basically just be writing the logic of the game and not you know the underlying technical uh aspects that just make it run i have thoughts on that but that's not the topic of the show <laughs> this is not programmer cast yet there are too many programmer casts. <laughs> just saying. It's true. And a lot of them have really bad information on them. Just remember, when it comes to smack, you need the stapler. It's very important. Uh, He's addicted you, to nerve stapling, guys. You need to so keep your empire together. And there is a tool for keeping things together. Well, Phil, good news. There might be a point in this game's development where nerve stapling is the only supported feature in the game. Perfect. <laughs> I don't like it when choices are too obvious, but I mean, some choices are just that obvious. There's no graphics. There's no units. There's no uh, leaders. <laughs> there's no victory conditions, but there is nerve stapling. Well, yeah. There are cities and you can nerve staple. They're starting with well, one of the most important elements then. I don't know why you guys have a problem with nerve stapling. It's such an efficient method of controlling your empire. Mostly the moral implications. But it's the only what? a video game. The what? <laughs> exactly. The what? <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it's just like you know I i'm not going to tell this story because it would raise far too many questions but i saw what happens last night when somebody goes fully off the deep end and uh let's just say a number of anti-ship missiles were destroyed but somebody almost died uh in the process by cannonballing into the ocean at mach 7 so 
keep in mind that this is coming from somebody who is frequently attributed with the racial tolerance and pop control modifiers and Ambinar, oh, whether no. or not he wants to be. Yeah, it's apparently the me and team's funny joke <laughs> that apparently all purges happen because of me. Well, anytime I do something questionable or an atrocity in uh, any game, if Canis is watching, uh, then Canis must be at least uh, partially responsible for the choice. Because I frequently dive their fleet at his behest, supposedly, as well in FTL. Very important that uh-huh. I have somebody guiding my actions towards the correct path. And Canis has so never let me down. Influenceable. Yeah, Canis has never let me down. Well, um, that's not entirely true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it goes bad, I, I blame you. But when it doesn't go bad, I also say that you've not let me down with your great suggestions. I think the only time I've ever been of actual help is when I see something on NEU4 that you missed because you were focused on something else. <laughs> you have told me how many moons there were in FTL many times. Yes, that is true. <laughs> Thank you, Steam Streaming Remind. <laughs> also, uh, they could move their entire army to your capital. <sighs> And I would be well, fine. That one was purely me, though. <laughs> I was busy being Korea in that game. Anyway, yeah. we should talk about spiffing Brit. Yeah, okay. watching him is always fun. Yes. So I took a, a quick glance at that video. I didn't watch it carefully. However, I got the impression that he picked the same settings as if you started the Cataclysm on turn one in Dominions 5. That's the uh, impression I got from uh, a, a few craters being created. <laughs> uh, what basically he did was um, max disaster settings. Um, all world is forested. All the land will be sunk by the... Co- by, uh, uh, raising seas specifically toward... what he's doing is it's actually a mod or a mod collection on uh, steam called civ 6 impossible apocalypse which uh, yeah it adds the conditions that canis is talking about and it's yeah. also in apocalypse mode so level seven means meteors fall from the sky and obliterate everything so every tile in the game can be flooded not just coastal tiles and uh I, th- I think the game also started with like 90 something percent of the land tiles being covered by forests or rainforests. Yes. So yeah. whenever a forest fire happened anywhere, it, it basically everywhere. Sp- spread across an entire continent. I mean, and he did win the correct victory condition. So no, he didn't. Of that. <laughs> Actually, he, he didn't. Uh, he, spoiler alert. He loses. <laughs> he lost because he was the because the only civilization to keep its capital was not him. Because Every civilization's capital was hit by a meteor, except for one of the AIs, which then by default won the game. Yeah, it's the correct victory condition. And then, he in, I well, guess he and, didn't win, but and then in the he next, got the correct victory condition. In, in the next game. turn, a meteor hit that capital too. <laughs> Lost by one turn just because comets. <laughs> I. Yeah. Ah, that's great. I think. Well, like he was down to one final city that was settled much later from the rubble of a bunch of other cities the whole map is craters and flooded land and it was quite an interesting video yeah it's definitely not your typical uh civilization content uh, nor even spiffing brit's typical like finding exploit thing like this is just let's have fun with a crazy you know mod 
well, and stack of settings within the context of those. Yeah, the, the title of the video, I think, is a little bit misleading because, like, it implies that he's going to be beating a game with exploits, but, like, really, he's just losing the game because it's well, just an absolute miserable slog of it. Given uh, his videos on exploiting the YouTube algorithm, I think it might be on purpose, too. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it. there's conscious thought that went into it. I was going to say, never claim, never say I lost the game when you start the video, because if you do, people won't watch. Unless that's uh, a novel thing that would attract attention, of course. Well, it sounds like we have an episode title, doesn't it? <laughs> is yeah. Six is a perfectly balanced game with no exploits? No, we lost the game. We lost oh. the game. <laughs> anyway, There's yeah. There's a, the... uh, a few ways that could be even be interpreted based on our topic list. Yeah. We lost the plot. I'll show you plot. Are you saying there's a plot? <laughs> Occasionally. As far as you know. I'm still looking for it. Maybe we'll find it someday. You just need a, a more loose slash accurate uh, definition of the term plot and you'll be fine. But yeah, if you're ever playing a game of Civilization VI uh, and you are getting frustrated with, you know, your units getting killed by floods or, you know, districts being destroyed or whatever, like every now and then, go check out this video or play this mod and uh, see how poor Spiffing Brit, like every time he sends a settler out to settle a new city, it's like instantly killed in a forest fire. <laughs> or uh, you could turn those settings off <laughs> as an alternative. There's that too. But that goes against the spirit of the game. Yeah, where's the fun in that? <sighs> I'll leave your guys to your RNG. I do not pray to RNGs. Neither do I, but I do recognize that it exists. I do not. I recognize nothing that is inconvenient for me to recognize. That's just obnoxious. That's the point. But anyway, back to uh, actual Civilization VI without apocalyptic mods. Uh, apparently, some of these Chinese leaders are also maybe game-breaking, I guess. Uh, some YouTube... YouTubers are uh, suggesting that maybe Yongle is too powerful. So going back to that topic about how the heck do you use that barbarian conversion thing, maybe it's better than we thought it was. Well, Yongle doesn't have that. That's QSHs. Oh, that's Yongle's right. yes, is the um, yields from pop on cities above 10 size. Well, they they say Yongle versus Unifier uh, kin. So who is more game-breaking? That's game the name breakings? of the thread, yeah. By, by yeah. So Black I'm assuming, Butterfly. Yeah, I'm assuming that the new... Uh, 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 kin leader is also unifier leader is also somehow overpowered or might be overpowered in certain game modes or circumstances. Until well, there's you by turning barbs off. <laughs> there's a picture here. Unifier Quincy Huang on snowflake map deity marathon speed dramatic ages plus zombies plus barbarian clans. Oh, screw off. Did the, are the zombies also barbarians? Because if so, that's probably it why seems like it yes the, the, those are cooked settings period come on well yeah the the point of the topic is if you cook the settings you always get a game-breaking situation but we get yeah, to point I mean, like... we get to point and laugh at the people in the thread first <laughs> okay well and we can enjoy that sure but yeah I mean, no, normally when i hear overpowered there, there are things i'm expecting to see slash hear slash have presented to me yes post number and, six uh... you've answered your well, own question already Quinn is game-breaking in a single-player mode most people don't play. Well, I think the Secret Society is relatively popular, and that's the particularly the game mode that they're saying Yongle is overpowered with because the yields get 
ridiculously crazy. Well, and uh, yeah, with a bunch of quote barbarian zombies running around, yeah, that definitely makes the uh, unifier's ability look a lot more appealing. The existence of Yongle angers me because he has the bonuses that I would most like to play with, which are population-based. Because I like to grow big population cities, and it makes me mad that I would have to play as China to do that. But it does mean that he's very powerful. I get big cities sometimes. Yes, but do you get culture gold and, and science from having just extra pop? Well, yeah, I take the cities, and then they have some of those things built, and I get, I get them, yeah. They're pretty big, too, and I capture them. They get a little bit smaller, but they're still pretty big. Sometimes. Sometimes they're crappy and small, but I still take them anyway, because I don't discriminate that way. Looks like this screenshot also has the corporations mod going. Was that ever fixed so that the AIs will actually, like, improve resources? It was never stated as being fixed, um, at least that I can remember. But there's also no AIs on this map, so how could you? how could we know? Yeah, well, moot point in this case, yeah. Yeah. Also, all the cities are Chinese, so uh, were there no... I guess there's at least one enemy on this map, although it looks like he has one city on one spoke. I don't know. I mean, with those settings, it might be a little hard on the AI. <laughs> You're getting, like, flooded with garbage. And not in the literal water sense, but, like, flooded by undead. Well, the screenshot certainly makes it look like the zombie problem is well under control, because I don't think I see any zombies in this screenshot. Oh, there's so the tons player, of them. They're just player zombies. Yeah, the player has it under control, but I don't know that the AI would. It's not like the AI gets a new script or algorithm to deal with the unique modes like that. Especially not in modded setting. Mackie. Oh. <laughs> hey. Uh, glowing green outlines. I don't know how that comes into a thing, but I started, uh, who started the poll? Aesthetician, which, oh, that makes sense. Uh, started a poll about the National Park's glowing green outlines. Like, do you want the green, because I guess they don't like the green park outlines. National park outlines, I should say. It's a poll. Yes, it's a poll. Apparently they don't like, they don't like the idea of force fields. <laughs> yeah, no, I want my nature contained in sci-fi force fields. I don't care about is a war real issues you. like AI. Uh, it looks like the OP is kind of in the minority on this one. Yeah, well, you know, it's actually, I mean, it's 30% is leading that no, they want that. But the rest of it, it's still a close split. It's I like, was going to say, there's yeah, no there's, there's no plurality here. No. Yeah, the sci-fi force fields are winning by a small margin, but they're not like ridiculously winning. Some people are like, these questions are stupidly loaded. and. Some people are like, celebrating nature, please, pen, yes, I want the system to look natural. Yeah, I don't care if there's a glowing border around the national parks. I just am upset that you can only build the national parks in that one very, very specific shape. Yes. And, like, you have to have a lot of very annoying conditions met in order for national parks to even be eligible. I think when the and when the game first came out in vanilla, it was even worse, because I think all the tiles that would be in the national park had to belong to the same city. So it, it oh, didn't yeah. just, it, did, yeah, it didn't, it wasn't only the case that it had to be in your borders. Like you couldn't just build a national park that was like outside of the range of your, of your city's workable radius, like, you know, where like a real national park, you know, probably would be. Uh, you, it had to all be in the national park and setting that up so that there wasn't like a district in the way was so obnoxiously difficult. They eventually updated the game with one of the expansions so that the tiles in the national park can be owned by multiple cities. 
but there's still it has to be in that one diamond shape and you know and i would much rather that it just be like the naturalist gets a number of charges and they can build their national park in whatever shape they want that's my national park rant see uh, <laughs> this ghost robe light national park let's go uh I think of national parks as being places that belong uh, near beautiful things. And then I remember that the national park in my state is the Lake Michigan Lakeshore near Gary and South Bend. So uh, if you know anything about uh, the cities of Gary and surrounding areas, let's just say it's like Chicago's dump pit. And um, cities or towns in Indiana around Gary literally block their roads to increase property values. So, um, yeah, Gary is one of those places that should not really be celebrated. It really needs like desperate, um, significant help to recover from demographic issues. But nope, we put a national park right next to it because we are the United States and we don't care about anything i guess well on that kind of related to that topic i also do often wish that you could build the national parks in uh civ 6 in really unappealing extremely unappealing terrain as well because like it's still a unique distinct natural environment like case in point uh one of our uh you know nearby national parks is like death valley uh you know place that has death in its name so not exactly an appealing place to live, but a very unique uh, natural ecosystem with its own, you know, beauty, if you don't mind all of the intense, deadly heat. Uh, so, you know, it would be kind of nice to just have like a large swath of like rainforest or something like that, that you could convert to a, nat- a national park later in the game. Uh, That's exactly the park I was thinking of, because in Civ, the deserts don't have a lot of appeal. But we have that, and you have Joshua Tree National Monument thing too. And it's like just because it's not appealing to somebody doesn't mean it's not appealing as a park and isn't something that should be highlighted and you know <clears throat> preserved. Like I've been to the Sonora Desert; it's not traditionally beautiful, but it's awesome. Yeah. If only I, mean, you guys separate- live in the objectively second best state, Ohio. Ohio? I don't think Ohio has a national park, does it? It's objectively so. the second best state, though. Oh, and in the case of Death Valley and also Valley of Fire, like one of the, the prettiest things that you can see there is when we do get an unusually wet uh, spring, uh, the whole park is just absolutely covered in wildflowers Yeah, uh, when the spring hits. And it is beautiful. That tends to happen in almost all the deserts of the U.S. And it's always gorgeous. We, we need a better aesthetic rating thing. It's like maybe a place isn't, desirable to live in but it's aesthetically beautiful and is can be a national park you know for it's, seven it, it's a place to visit not a place to live in does the yes. game adjust its beauty rating based on the uh era you're in like do rainforests become more beautiful later in the game i don't think so because i know no. at the beginning of the game they're usually considered disgusting or uninviting and have negative values but it would make sense that towards the modern era and beyond that those areas would get more appeal. Yeah. The same thing with the desert, probably early on because it's uninhabitable. It seems less appealing, but you get further in and you start to appreciate the, <clears throat> as Jason was pointing, the unique, uh, unique ecosystems involved in all these different types of terrains. But as... tundra's not appealing, but there's a whole thing with the Arctic life and stuff like that. So yeah. 
as society's views on things change from uh, how can we use it to survive to how can we protect it for the future. Now, to be fair to Firaxis, they did eventually add the preserve district, which does kind of sort of fill a little bit of of that niche. Uh, but still, I, it'd be nice to be able to put like a national park over a rainforest or like a desert oasis or something like that. Well, oases usually allow you to put a national park there. Um, yeah, if you ha- I think if you have a desert with like maybe a mountain and an oasis, you probably would have enough appeal for a national park yeah. at that point. I would just like to point out that I don't agree with this progression and that I, my people will learn to uh, find beauty in things based on their practical utility rather than their mere appearance. And okay. therefore, I will condition them to be robotic optimizers. <laughs> and th- this crap all sounds pretty suboptimal to me. So I want other things to Our be appealing, like my, like my industrial district. I think that should be the most appealing thing. What well, was in that the name case, of that you're... guy, John Mills, who said that? Yeah. Well, also the encampment districts, of course, are going to still be appealing, but the industrial district should get more appealing over time. Yes. Whereas the encampment <laughs> is appealing from the start and it stays so. Anyone who's ever seen SimCity knows that high-tech industry is beautiful, right, guys? Oh, yeah. why is there nuclear fallout everywhere? <laughs> well, <laughs> in SimCity, the correct thing to do is to raise a piece of land and then put water for waterfalls and place a hydro dam there because those never go bad for some reason. And so that's optimal. I, I don't know why we didn't do that in real life. That was the obvious solution to energy. China did do that. And look how it turned out for them. No, they used like an existing water source that's huge. No, you just need to raise up a little piece of land and make perma waterfalls on it. I'm pretty sure there's not a single living thing left in that river. Yeah, well, they did it wrong. You're supposed to like just use a little bit of water to make lots of power because the water just is water falling there infinitely for some reason. Actually, that's not true. There's a lot of viruses and bacteria in there. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of bacteria. Well, if you want to up your game a little bit, you could play city skylines and you could have your entire city powered by a lake of poop held back by a dam. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, I've seen that video. <laughs> I also, when I played games. that game, accidentally drank the river dry with my water pumps. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that'll happen too. <laughs> I don't know. Oh the first thing that comes to mind after his description being drinking it dry is, mm, it's a little much even for me. <laughs> what you've never heard? You've never heard that phrase in reference. I to have, the but just hurts? after using feces to power the city, it made it a little bit questionable. Don't drink the poop lake. Oh. Don't eat the yellow snow. Okay, guys. Okay. <laughs> what about the brown snow? <laughs> Do not eat snow unless it is white, okay? That, uh, that's... <laughs> and even then, probably don't eat the snow, because God knows what pollutants are in there these days. Probably the same as we're in there 15 years ago. Yeah, you probably Microplastics. Probably. You'll probably live. I don't worry it... about microplastics, because, uh, <laughs> you know, it may be something the body doesn't know what to do with, but do you know what the body does with things it doesn't know what to do with? Gets rid of it, generally. It, shows it, it shoves it out the colon. So I'm not wor- too worried about microplastics until they can prove to me that they actually attach to biological things and cause problems. But I had to say it because this has been a topic lately. Yeah. Also, free the gas stove. Don't get rid of them. They're awesome. <laughs> I hate the idea of getting rid of gas stoves. The induction stoves are cool, though, to be fair. Yes, they are cool. I love induction. They are very cool, but they also don't always work. And they require you to buy all new cookware in some cases. So yeah. I'm going to keep my gas stove, thanks. I mean, I'm a plebeian who just uses an electric stove yeah, on the occasions that I actually use a stove whatsoever. So 
yeah, I, I, I don't have, have much flat- of a dog in this fight. <laughs> <laughs> I have a flat top electric stove, but I, I kind of wouldn't mind at least having like one induction burner. So when I only have to do like a small amount of things, I could just do it and get it done real fast. And I wouldn't have to wait for the stove to cool off before I could clean it. Yeah. Well, don't crack the glass. What's the main complaint of with gas stoves, indoor pollution? You got a vent hood for a reason. Like literally, you're supposed to have the fan on at all times while using the stove. You should I, do I think that. They anyway. were trying to show that there's some pulmonary consequences, even if you do vent it to some degree. Assuming you have a vent that actually goes outside and isn't just trying to uh, filter it and then blow it back out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the controls were on that. I mean, that tests. seems a lot more complicated than just shoving it out the window. Ha, but, ha, ha. Open windows in Texas about six months of the year. I don't think so. Well, you don't want to open windows here for six months of the year either. But... It's in the opposite direction because it's too cold. Well, we get, we get, uh, like right now it's too cold. In the summer and usually in the spring, it's too hot. Anyway, we have gone way too long with stuff that doesn't matter. This has been Polycast episode uh, 415. Is that correct? You'd think think I'd know because I'm staring at the splash screen right now. Uh, I'm Canis Albinus, who still can't hold a thought in his head because it keeps disappearing. And... uh, she doesn't know what she's saying. Anyway, we've got Mick Makalua. We've not only lost the plot, we've lost the topic and lost uh, the game. Yeah, that was the thing. Me and team. A lake full of power. We're thirsty no more. And Mega Bears fan. I'm sorry, what, what does stoves have to do with Civ? What? <laughs> you have to eat in between Civ sessions. You don't have to do anything. Well, you... Do you like living? You might want to eat sometime. Not a good idea to not eat. <laughs> well, that's what donuts and chips are for. Yeah, that Soylent drink. Ugh. That stuff is awful. <laughs> That's because you're not using real people. <laughs> oh, no corpse, corpse starch, please. <laughs> but it's so efficient. It gives you everything you need. No. <laughs> I don't want to live in a giant black gothic castle where I never see the sun on a planet that's dead. <sighs> on a happier note... Because- what? You didn't research the aesthetics tech yet. Doesn't mean that the black castle doesn't look good. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to go for an extended period of time without having to see the sun. <laughs> I uh, usually <laughs> say that, and then this this uh, January we've seen the sun like once, and I realized that even my autistic skin that burns at the sight of the sun, even in 10 degree weather, needs some sunlight every once in a while. Anyway, Civ, uh, what, what am I supposed to say? Civ Sound. Copyright. We're copyrighted and sponsored by. Uh, uh, Civ no, Sound. Uh, Civ Sound Clips. Copyright. Take Two Interactive. Uh, wait, no, that's not right either. Dang it. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 Sound Clips, copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.